Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Wednesday Conversation. I'm Bethany Gilbert, and I'm here with Pastor Bob Thune and Pastor Dusty White of Quorum Deo Church, and Pastor Chris Hemmelman of First City Church. Every Wednesday, we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life. Today, we're talking about evangelicalism A, B, and C. Oh, it's like multiple choice. A, yeah, kind of. I always went C. I mean, I was public school <laughs> just guy. Went C. I just went C. <laughs> Hey, the Dutch people are coming out of the woodwork. Our Bobbic episodes are just bringing out all the Dutch heritage all around us. If you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. <laughs> wow. Wow. I, that's, I love that. My friend Kathleen, who is South African, so she has Dutch heritage, but you know the Dutch uh, were the earliest settlers of South Africa, and so she's from South Africa, but Dutch heritage, and she brought us for the podcast in honor of Bovink and all the Bov... She said... I have shared in all the Bovink episodes. And she bought she brought us, guys, Biltong, which is a basic South African jerky. I was trying to I was trying to describe to my podcast fellows listeners and they're just all laughing at me like, dude, what is that stuff? I I mean you could be making it up right now and I'm just like nodding yes, you know. Like, so I'm in agreement. This it, it I, how how would you describe what this looks like? It's they just kind like, of look like actual like drumsticks that you would use to play drums, but they're meat. Yeah, it's like a big long meat jerky stick. stick. Yeah. It's like a it's a meat stick. Yeah, it's a stick of meat. It's a stick of meat that you could possibly use as a weapon. Yeah, yeah. It's uh so she apparently either brought these from South Africa or found a place uh, in North America where there was there, there's the this is a this is a famous South African thing. In fact, when my son and I were in South Africa a few years ago. Every place, like if you went to a bar or a restaurant, this was like the the appetizer everybody ordered was biltong. It's like a... It's like the dinner roll? Yeah, it's like the, <laughs> the, the dinner, dinner roll. roll. Meat the, dinner roll. The jerky okay. dinner roll okay. of South Africa. Uh, let me read to you from the Wikipedia article, just so in case you want to know. Biltong is a form of dried cured meat, which originated in Southern African countries. You're going to like this part. Various types of meat are used to produce it, ranging from beef to game meats such as ostrich oh. or kudu. Ooh. Oh. So there Any you go. chance this is ostrich? It could be. I don't know what kind of biltong this is. The word biltong is from the Dutch bil, which means buttock, oh. and tong, which means strip. So strip. it's a butt now strip. We're it's a butt strip. The nitty gritty. Amazing. There you go. It's uh, it is amazing. So thank you, Kathleen, for introducing my my podcast mates. That definitely is the best snack story. Yeah, butt strip. <laughs> I mean, it's like a. It's like a New York strip, man. We just use our language is just more discreet. <laughs> oh, wow. You have to recover. <laughs> wow, Chris. It's like a long pause. <laughs> it's a butt strip. Thanks, Kathleen, for sending us some uh, South African snacks for this podcast. We want to talk about uh, a, an article from Kirsten Sanders that appeared in the Hedgehog Review at the end of last year. Kirsten Sanders is a adjunct prophet, Gordon Conwell. She specializes in Christology, gender, and sexuality. Uh, the title of this article is The Evangelical Question in the History of American Religion. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into the article. It's not very long, six or seven pages. You can go read it. Um, we'll post the link if you want to. But I think it is an interesting point she's making, and we'll get to the evangelicalism A, B, and C, because that's the most interesting aspect, I think, of the article. 
But let me give you a high-level summary of the work that Kirsten Sanders is doing. She's asking the question at the beginning of the article, what is an evangelical? Um, and she says there's a theological answer to that question uh, that David Bebbington first proposed in 1989 and has become sort of the standard answer. Uh, theologically, an evangelical is a Christian who possesses these four qualities. Biblicism, that is an emphasis on the priority of Scripture. Activism, which he means a personal commitment to live out the faith. Crucicentrism, in other words, a Christ-centered understanding of salvation. And evangelism. Um, so he says those four things have always kind of defined evangelicalism, and most people theologically would agree. Kirsten Sanders says, hey, that's great, but let's be honest that evangelicalism in America also has a sociological definition, and that's probably more important or equally important. So if you were to ask a pollster what is an evangelical, they're not answering that question theologically. They're asking the question sociologically. And so she traces the work of Peter Berger, who's a famous uh, mid-20th century sociologist who wrote a lot about the secularization of America. And she comes to the conclusion that in American culture, evangelicalism is kind of the shape that American religion takes. She's basically like, hey, let's be honest that in America, the word evangelical has like a social history to it. And we should understand the nature of how the culture of American Christianity has shaped what we understand evangelicalism to be. Now, it feels to me like she's a little bit of a skeptic in this article, meaning she um, she doesn't seem like, I'm not sure she would self-identify as an evangelical. I don't know if she's maybe an Anglican, but it, she, she seems a little bit dismissive of like evangelicalism as like a a meaningful religious tradition. So I don't know if she intends to be that way, but it feels a little bit that way to me. Um, I don't, but I, to her credit, I think she's trying to answer the question just as a historian and just say, let's just talk about the social history of evangelicalism. And the case she makes is that in America, this is following Peter Berger. She says, because of secularization and disenchantment, what happened in America is that um, religion became sort of a market driven phenomenon that like, Religion in America has always had to respond to market conditions is kind of how she would put it. And so that process of secularization, she writes, transforms religious institutions into marketing agencies and religious traditions into consumer commodities. Now, that might be an overstatement, but basically, I think she's saying when you have secularization happening and you're asking, like, how are we going to, how do we want to? sell the church? How do we want to get people connected to the church? You have to sort of like follow the inclinations of what they seem to be interested in. And that's kind of always been part of evangelicalism because, you know, if you're an Anglican, you're an Anglican. It's just like, we're the church of England. If you're interested in that, cool. If if not, you're probably not interested in us. You know, if you're, um, you know, if you're a, a Dutch Calvinist, you know, a Dutch reformed person, most of those people are immigrants from that part of the world evangelicalism has always kind of had this uniquely American adaptability where it's kind of like, Hey, let's, um, let's connect people's longing for God to values that they have culturally is kind of how it might be another way of thinking of it. You have a thought on that, Chris? Well, one of the things she points out that I thought's interesting, we don't necessarily have to go down this rabbit hole, but she, she wants to make the argument or follow the argument of Berger that Protestantism is actually the 
part of the problem in the sense of it created the secular because it removes so much of the mystical aspect of Roman Catholicism Yes, and left a huge hole. And so- By which I disagree. Which it, I think she's partly right. I don't I'm not surprised because you also don't agree with me on baptism. And things like that. <laughs> so you're just always going to be the more, the more Catholic leaning of those of what us. What are you talking about? You're more kidding. Catholic than me. Wow. <laughs> you you put ashes on people's forehead. I did That's not true. do that. True. Um, but <laughs> but what I thought was just was just interesting is how even or the Protestant and an evangelical world kind of created it, its own sort of um, theology, created an issue that it had to respond to in some ways which I thought was kind of an interesting, just take at the problem. So again, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole, but it's just, it's, it's almost like it's fighting. It's like it's fighting against its own a monster of its own creation. Yes. There, and, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of sociologists who want to put the, the blame at the feet of Protestantism and the Reformation oh. sort of for like, well, yeah, that's what yes. blew up the, you know, the church hierarchy. And so now we live in this very individualistic world where it's like, whose interpretation of the Bible do we trust? I think that's kind of an overstatement sometimes, I agree. but I see, I, agree. How, yeah. I see how people yeah. get there. And she does seem to sort of run in that tradition a little bit. Let, let me read you a few sentences from the article. Um, evangelicalism has adopted private values that would appeal to the widest possible audience. These values, however, have shifted historically from middle-class respectability and gender roles and the virtues associated with middle management to the values of patriotism and political power that appealed to a culture preoccupied with American strength. The values that are often associated with evangelicalism were not produced by evangelicals out of whole cloth. Rather, they presented the best way to market a religion with any hope of surviving. So that's an interesting, basically that's the case she wants to make is evangelicalism has kind of been a market-shaped phenomenon, at least in America. Now, I don't know. Do you agree, disagree? Well, I just think you could make an argument that because of the value of evangelism and the need to share the Christian faith, it... I think you could say, like, if you're a wholehearted evangelist, you know, you could just be like, well, yeah, I needed to do that. I needed to drift with the culture in order to do evangelism. Yeah. I partly agree with this. I think the form of Protestantism that has taken root in the United States, especially post-Second Great Awakening, has, I think, what she described in many ways. It's There's a revivalistic, there's an emotional, and, and there's also a, like, kind of that mere Christianity aspect to it yeah. that... um the removal of catechesis and and just even if you want to use kind of the Dutch category of like this holistic quorum Deo kind of view of discipleship and life and how the kingdom of God is, pre you know, like all of that, that the Catholic church kind of had in spades that certain traditions within Protestantism kind of removed some of that and stripped it down. And I think that actually in, in that point, in that sense, she's right because what replaced that gap was sort of the marketing piece. All right, let's get to the end of the article because this is what I think is interesting is what Kirsten Sanders does with this is basically critique the influencers. And that's where I want to get to. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what's yeah, most yeah. interesting to yeah. me. So she says, all right, three stages of evangelicalism. Evangelicalism A, evangelicalism B, evangelicalism C. Here's what she, these are only her categories. I haven't seen anybody else use these categories, but here's what she would say. What I call evangelicalism A, Kirsten Sanders writes, can be dated roughly from 1904 with the development of Moody Bible Institute. And she would say like, so the early 20th century evangelicalism A, this is, um, think Billy Graham, 
think, uh, you know, Chris, you use the language of mere Christianity, sort of like the, you know, lowest common denominator, you know, let's don't worry about denominational distinctions. Let's just talk about Jesus, call people to faith in him. It's that vision of, of Christianity. That's evangelicalism. A, she would say, and she would say that, that, um, used the vehicle of television, which was a new medium and situated evangelicalism as a, you know, uh, along the, the values of early 20th century and mid 20th century American culture, you know, she says by the 1970s, that was starting to fall apart because you had the, the counterculture revolution in the sixties. So you had all the hippies, you had drug culture, you had rock and roll and evangelicalism a was not well suited to pivot to that. And so what you had with like the Jesus movement and Calvary chapel and that stuff she said that led us to evangelism B. She would date that from the 1960s to the 2000s, and she would connect it to countercultural, corporate branding, and new technology. And she basically says, just think megachurches, and that's this era. And I think that interestingly maps onto like Mike Cosper's work, even in the rise and fall of Mars Hill, mm-hmm. where he traces megachurches back to that sort of Southern California Jesus movement, the the, the wave of that, you know. Saddleback Church and, and all that stuff. So, so megachurches, evangelicalism B. Here's, here's how she draws a distinction where evangelicalism A borrowed a cultural interest in modest personal commitment and wed it to a bare bones set of Protestant beliefs. Evangelicalism B borrowed new business tactics and wed them to the new generation's earnest desire for an authentic spiritual life. And so she just says there was this, you know, yeah, you had the counterculture with this desire for authenticity and you had really good business models. And so that was sort of evangelicalism be figured out how to navigate those two things and really leverage that for the sake of the church. Yeah. It's so fascinating too that, that switch because the Jesus movement coming out of that countercultural sort of anti-establishment bent, but then what was birthed is kind of the mega church movement. Huge establishment. Yeah, <laughs> huge establishment. But with, with that, that sense of authenticity, because within mega churches, like, high value on personal experience. Yes. So, so it still had that kind of countercultural uh, experiential flavor within the the institution where maybe evangelical a had kind of more of a, I don't know, a staid kind of experience yes. within the institution. But I think that's also interesting because of industrialization. So businesses are producing larger things. And so churches can produce larger things, yeah. you know, people are getting, people got used to it is what I'm saying. Yes. Now, here's what here's where she's going to surprise you. She talks about Jesus and John Wayne, the book by Kristen Cobes Dume, um, which critiques evangelicalism B. And um, she, she's gained a lot of traction with this, basically saying evangelicalism B also enjoyed this coziness with masculinity, militarism, and xenophobia. And so she's basically sort of critiquing evangelicalism B and saying, yeah, it was this hyper-masculine militaristic faith football family kind of culture. And a lot of people though, I think I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not sure Dume is doing the most um, neutral kind of work. She seems to have some agendas behind it, but most people are saying, yeah, but she's making some fair critiques of evangelicalism B. Here's the interesting thing that Kirsten Sanders does. Although Dume's account reads as an apt description and indictment of the movement, a shortcoming of DeMay's book is that she does not reflect on whether she too has taken part in a process of secularization and perhaps unintentionally has become another participant in the process. 
Jesus and John Wayne is, a, is an example of how quickly values change and the alacrity with which purveyors of evangelical religion rush to market themselves accordingly. They did not find the God, faith, and family values problematic in the days of evangelicalism B because such values weren't problematic during that cultural period, which is interesting. I mean, basically what she's saying is like, well, of course, no one was offended by that because in the culture, no one was offended by that. The reason we're offended by that now is because our cultural values have shifted. So Kirsten Sanders argues what Kristen Cobes, what, what Kristen Cobes Dumais and other sort of influencers now are doing. So she would say evangelicalism C is the landscape we currently inhabit. You can date it to about 2007 when the iPhone came out. And she, Kirsten Sanders says, with the iPhone, what had long been a move toward private religious practice now took a hyper-individualized form. Evangelicalism C also depends on dynamic personalities and public figures, but it operates largely outside organized churches or institutions. It is increasingly virtual. Today, individuals who want to be Christian are more and more likely to follow influencers who promote their version of Christianity through Instagram stories, books and book tours, and the conference circuit. It is increasingly common for these influencers to have no church affiliation. Spiritual questioning has always been part of the Christian faith, to be sure, but only with evangelicalism C has it become a brand. And she points to Jen Hatmaker, who basically started out as a mommy blogger and then figured out, oh, I've got basically a brand around Jen Hatmaker, around my, my sort of ethos. And so she just has leveraged that into all this other stuff. And Kirsten Sanders basically says, it's just another version of what evangelicalism has always done, which is basically, how do we market What's the market forces in the cultural values right now, and how do we capture that and use that to sort of move forward the work that we're trying to do? And I think it's an interesting critique because what I have heard, what the, the, the dialogue that tends to be common is a lot of people who are sort of into like Jen Hatmaker, Kirsten Cobb Dumais, people like that, who look back at evangelicalism B and basically want to say like, that's evangelicalism because it's like, you know, patriarchal and militaristic and mega churchy and, you know, we're down with all that. And what Kirsten Sanders is saying is, yeah, but all they're doing is repackaging the same things and now leaning into a different set of cultural values. And I think that's an interesting angle. I hadn't heard anyone talk about this before. And it's it, what it does, it sort of takes away the clean binary of like, this is bad. What we're doing now is good. And it forces us to ask, well, maybe both of these are beholden to certain American cultural values, and maybe the gospel would critique them both in various ways. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. It reminds me of, a. I heard one uh, seminary professor critique Driscoll's book on his, that the one book he wrote on church planting and kind of how Mars Hill grew is like, how is this any different than the church growth movement that he was kind of rebelling against? He was like, this is church growth for cool kids. And so in some ways, evangelical C is kind of the same thing, but for the cool kids or for the, the iPhone social media generation. So it, it had in some ways value some different things, but it's, it is very much doing the same thing and it doesn't realize I, yeah, the, the end of this article, I was like, Whoa, that's where she went. Cause at first, you know, I was, I was having these little squabbles with her history here and there, but then it's like, Oh my goodness, this is actually really a thoughtful kind of drawing, a, you know, connecting the dots between a, B and C to show, man, this is maybe this is, is, is evangelicalism just 
marketing? Is that is, is that what is the, the essence lot. of it? Like throw out Bebbington's his his categories and just say, hey, evangelicalism is just Christian marketing. Yeah. I thought it was interesting too that these influencers, you know, her comment on they're not always connected to a church and they don't really need to be. There's not necessarily like a ecclesiology accountability. And then also the fact that this culture is valuing the influencer over the expert and personal narrative more than impersonal claims and testimony over centralized authority. That is definitely true. Yes. You know, like there's just certain people that we're following yep. and we're just listening to them. We have no idea of their credentials, you know, or why we're following them. Yeah. We don't really care, you know, and then eventually the algorithm just helps me follow them. Let me read you the second to last paragraph from Kirsten Sanders article, which where she sort of summarizes her critique of evangelicalism. C. she writes many influencers and leaders prominent in the world of evangelicalism. C. tend to reject the evangelical label, but in seeking to distance themselves from a previous movement, and casting around for a new religious identity that better squares with their social concerns, one that correlates broadly with the culture of the day, such religious figures bear an uncanny, if unintended, resemblance to their evangelical predecessors. As inheritors of an increasingly secular religious landscape, they have been left with little choice than to market their religious beliefs and values to whoever will buy them. The best way to do this is to adopt the preferences, values, and strategies of the surrounding culture. So that's her critique, is that, yeah, this is the new way to adopt the preferences, values, and surrounding, uh, and strategies of the surrounding culture. To your point, Chris, what Tim Keller said recently is that um, if we're talking about evangelicalism in America, we have to embrace that it's both theological and sociological. So there is still the, the Bebbington's theological definition still does define the heart of evangelical Christianity. And yet it also has always had a sociological aspect to it. And so Keller says, that's why you can find in most corners of evangelicalism, really gospel loving, Christ loving people. And also people who just feel like sort of like, you know, American people, <laughs> American people who have a Jesus bumper sticker, you know, and he's like, no matter what tribe you go to, you tend to find both of those things. You tend to find real Christ-loving people and also some people who just sort of seem to have socially identified with things that resonate to them about evangelicalism. And so Keller, I think, has done a good job saying, yeah, we have to, it, it's always both of these things. It's a theological and a sociological reality. And asking the question, how do we differentiate the two and how do we understand the influence of both of those on us is an important question. I think another way you can see the both and is with the ease in which evangelicals can move between different types of churches within the overall umbrella and not even necessarily in a thoughtful, like gospel centered way, but just in a sort of, Oh, I like the music here. Yeah. And so, you know, we'll go here or, you know, so, so there's this, this ease in which you just can jump from very different churches in some ways, but fall under the umbrella because of the sociological. Yes. This Glue. feels like our people. Yeah, yeah, that that can happen. It is interesting to think about. I mean, this is evangelicalism B, which is more my world that I grew up in. But it's interesting if you think about like kind of every megachurch is kind of like every other megachurch. I mean, if you think about like megachurches yeah. have a culture. Yeah, and it's yeah. like if you've been to one, then you move to a new city. You might not, you might have gone to a Baptist church in this city and you might be in an E-free church or even a vineyard church in this city. But it's just like, 
as long as it's a megachurch, it's going to feel, there's like these, these sociological similarities in terms yeah. of like how we do things and how we see the world and how we talk about Jesus. And so it is interesting to think about the ways that there's a sociological similarity that, that can move people around between churches, even with very different sort of theological underpinnings. Yeah. You could go to a make charismatic megachurch or a Baptist megachurch and yeah. feel very similar. Even, you know, under the hood, there's some significant theological differences. Yes. So I think this is an interesting critique. The reason I'm interested in it is um, I'm growing increasingly tired of the evangelicalism C critique of evangelicalism B because it just feels like, okay, yeah, you've made that critique, but I don't see what you're building. It feels to me like there's nothing being constructed over here. And this names why, because it's like, because these people are influencers. They're not trying to plant a church, build an institution, start a thing. They just kind of have a platform. And so it's very easy to sort of critique and have people resonate with that critique and go, yeah, I want to follow that person. But that feels a little thin to me because it doesn't, it doesn't clearly make sense to me how that's going to lead to something still existing a generation from now. Yeah. You know, whereas at least in an unhealthy church, I'm just like, well, this church is probably still going to exist a generation from now. It might still be really unhealthy, but I can hope it experiences renewal. The thing that this article, I think, most provoked in me, in addition to that that sort of connection and that critique, is I keep going back to this the secularization piece. And as I was reading this, it something clicked for me where she's not just using secularization as like not religious, but a a more disenchanted religion, disenchanted Christianity. Where again, you know, you're everything is you know in comparison to the Catholic Church at one point. But if you think of the ways in which the Catholic Church has, you know, this, the various sacraments, and as she points out, the saints and the mystery aspect to it, not saying that that's all biblical, but the move away from that and how certain strands of Protestantism and evangelicalism have stripped a lot of the mystery and the mystical from religious experience and the corporate nature of that too, that I'm just provoked by the thought of, do we have a secularized Christianity? Because it's just so disenchanted and what it has done, it has hollowed out discipleship. It's hollowed out church membership. It's hollowed out just what it means to be a countercultural community because we don't see the world as enchanted by God and the effects of that. And can a, can a secularized Christianity, which evangelicals see continues to perpetuate, can it, can it actually put up a buttress against our culture? I don't think so. Yeah. And so that's where I'm just, this was just provoking me for that, like that deeper sort of thicker type of Christianity and discipleship and church. And, and this, you know, this is my mind just like, wow, how, how have I been caught up in this un, un, without reflecting on this? And how, how could that potentially change some of what we do? I don't know, but that it was just changes provoking. my desire to use the word evangelical. Let's just dump it. Yeah. Hey, Let's just several years ago, we, I know. you wanted to keep it. I know. I fought on this podcast yeah. to say, nope, I'm going to fight for that word. But the reason was because I like the theological definition of that word. And I think what this article, I feel the same way that you did. The way this article makes me think is, and I don't, I don't want to preserve any of the sociological aspects. <laughs> like yeah. I would just dump most of them. Now I'm, I'm an American. I realize I can't not be that. So there's ways in which my culture is always going to shape me. But what I realized is I think I like historic Protestantism. I like catechisms. I like creeds. I like the depth of it. I don't like evangelically sociology. I, I don't like, you know, the things that 
account for evangelicalism in most people's minds are not what motivate me about the church. And so I'm less inclined to use that word unless, unless I'm in a room like this. Cause I'm just like, yeah, I'm not going to fight for anything that evangelicalism a B or C found really important in terms of culture and, and social values. I'm, I'm generally going to fight for the Bible, the gospel and good theology. And that's what you're saying there is, is about building something and preserving something. And that's kind of what you were just ranting on a little bit, you know, like, as you were talking about reflecting, what I heard you passionate about there was like, you're actually planting a church or have planted a church and there's like preservation there and building something dense and thick. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Like a, a thick community that, yeah. that, that then goes and plants more right. like a thick community. It's interesting too, to talk about the word evangelicalism after, you know, what politics has done with that word. Yes. Because for some, when you just say evangelical, even on this podcast, they're just like, oh, red, blue. Yes. Yes. But I think, yeah, I like, I just like the word historic Protestant. But what I think is interesting about what Kirsten Sanders is saying is like, but evangelicalism is just always going to be part of America. Like you're, yeah, I don't think we're looking at a future where it's like, oh yeah, evangelicalism. She's just like, it's part of American religion. It's just like, there's this weird intermarriage between American culture and whatever we call evangelicalism. And it's just, they influence each other. And, and there's a part in which we're always going to be influenced to some degree. Yes. Like, like you just, it's part of your culture, you, the air you breathe. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, you have to be just mindful of it. Uh, but, but yeah, that the other thing too, of how the way she, this is a, you know, evangelical is bigger than just the United States, but in many ways, the U S sort of controls it. I think in some, some of the definition, uh, and it has its own unique flavor. Yes. You don't have as many mega churches, as far as I know, as many, you know, mega churches in, in the UK are not like a thing right. that's like here and, and in where evangelicalism is other parts of the country or the world. So. I, this is, maybe I've said this on this podcast before, but that's where I think the, the application of this is evangelical is an adjective, not a noun. Like, so that's what, like, I like the word evangelical because it describes something, evangelical Christianity or evangelical Protestantism. Evangelicalism is a noun. And when we turn an adjective into a noun, now you make it a, a pl- you know, a person, place, or thing. You make it a static reality and I don't want to be parked in that parking lot. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So that's why things interesting is she's talking about evangelicalism, a evangelicalism B and evangelicalism C. And I think that's when people would self identify as I am an evangelical, the noun that's the parking lot. I don't want to park in. Cause I'm just like, yeah, I'm not that whatever that is. <laughs> I am an evangelical Protestant, or you might call me an evangelical Christian evangelical in the sense that I, I believe the gospel and I want to see it propagated and promoted, but not whatever evangelicalism yeah. is. Yeah. That's, yeah, 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 to yeah, me, yeah. that's no, even good. the difference that's between good. America and global Christianity is like in global Christianity, you have like evangelical Anglicans and evangelical Australians. Yes. But what's funny is when I hang out with people from Australia, there's not like an evangelicalism there. Yes. You know? yeah. Like no, there this, is this here. Is good. That's really good. Here yeah. in America, yeah. there's this thing called evangelicalism. That's like a, I don't know what it is. It's a sociological it's reality. Okay. And here, here, and this, is, this is something you and I have dipped our toe in debating before. Oh, wow. But <laughs> here's the question that I, I am, I'm like seriously wrestling with this in some ways. Is it possible to break out of the gravitational pull of evangelicalism 
without adopting a more of a confessional tradition. Yeah, this is and some there's some listener that wants us to talk about this. So now, <laughs> now that person's gonna email gonna be yes. like, Yes, see, I tried yes, to make you yes, have yes, that yes. conversation. And you're convinced no. I am not sure what I'm convinced of. Okay. I think yeah, I'm intrigued by that question. Yeah, I and think it's I'm the right question. That, yeah. But what I, the reason I'm not convinced is because I think evangelicalism has also sucked in Dutch Protestantism. It's sucked in European Protestantism. It's sucked in Anglicanism. Like, there's no confessional tradition that has that has sort of stayed separate from that thing once it comes to America. So it feels to me like, yeah, it doesn't guarantee yeah. that you can like pull yourself out of that evangelicalism matrix and then exist as a distinct Protestant community not affected by that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really, that's what, part of what's fascinating about this article is I just think like, maybe she's right that evangelicalism and market-driven Christianity just is part of America. And so the church is always going to have to figure out how do we navigate that? How do we like not do our best not to become consumed by that? But that that's, I mean, you know, it's like, why do we have to have a social media strategy? I guess we kind of <laughs> do. You know why? Because that's how people find churches now. It's like, I hate, I, our, we joke about this. Like, I hate social media. I don't even want to have to put anything out there because it's dumb. But when people move to Omaha, that's how they find a church. So I was just like, well, I guess we got to be out there if we want people to find us. But I don't want to be sucked into that world of we got to, we got to be an influencer, you know, yeah. and we got to play that game. So, but that's an example, a very small example of how I feel that tension of just like there is a little bit of to be a religious movement in America, it is always a little bit market driven. And maybe that's the uniqueness of American culture that the church has to figure out and navigate. I don't even know what it looks yeah. like. Yeah. I give you guys props for dropping your live stream. Yeah. We still have not made that decision, but that's largely because we have so many military families. That's how they find, like they come to first, oh, we've been watching you on live stream for like six weeks. Yep. It's like, oh, okay, I guess there is some usefulness to this, but it, a part of me dies every Sunday when I know that we're live streaming it. So. <laughs> wow. I like that you defended your position here. Yeah. That's good. I'll take it. If you can frame up that confederalism question in a way that makes a good like debate question, maybe we can rev we can devote an episode to it. Cause some, I can't remember who the I, listener is, but they will be so happy. They'll be oh, like, he yes. remembers. Yeah. I, mean, I, will, I will try to do that. And talking about, I've been trying to get you to talk about that for a year, <laughs> but it's a good question. All right. So the article is, uh, in the hedgehog review from last, uh, fall, the what evangelical, a what a great name. Yeah. Hedgehog like hedgehogs. review. Yeah. The evangelical question in the history of American religion, Kirsten Sanders. Um, hope you find it thought provoking. If you don't care about the history of evangelicalism, you probably won't care about this article. So thanks for listening to our podcast and listening <laughs> to us talk about it. We care about these things. You don't have to. But I think it is interesting to think about uh, the, the market-driven nature of Christianity in America and what that means for the church. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The goal of this podcast is to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or a church leader in another context, we thank you for listening in, and we pray that this conversation might be helpful to you as you minister in your context. We always love to hear from listeners, so if you have thoughts, questions, or future podcast topics, send an email to podcast at cdomaha.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday for another episode of the Wednesday Conversation.